everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me again. Hope to have another great week of programs for you. And I'm really excited about the next two episodes. The next two episodes I'm going to be doing, I have been planning these ep- this to do this for about five years, and I'm finally getting around to it. And that is going to be doing a book review of the late, great planet Earth. I read this book probably four or five years ago, and uh, I don't want to talk about it now, but I've got a lot to say about it. And I will show you how almost an entire generation of preachers were completely bewitched. Literally, they were bewitched by an event that took place not long before that, and it messed everyone up on prophecy, and they're still messed up from it today. And so you're going to want to see, we're going to spend two days talking about this, and I I think you'll find it very interesting. But today, what I would like to do, I would like to spend some time reflecting on the interview that I did with Pastor Chuck Baldwin. I really appreciate him coming on the program. I really enjoyed the conversation I've uh, gotten a lot of good feedback from it. I think people were blessed by it. and uh, But I do want to make sure that I cover a few things because I didn't agree with everything that he said. Now, I'm not mad at him for saying things that I didn't agree with. I, I'm not mad at him at all. He did not. I did not hear him say anything that I think could be considered heretical. But there are were things that are different than what I'm going to teach on this program. And I said, I'm going to have people on who have different perspectives on things, and we're going to be respectful, and and I do think he's somebody who deserves to be respected. And, and so I use that program to kind of show preachers especially, this is how it's done. When you are hearing things about somebody's beliefs, you know, ask them. Here's how you do it. And, and then you listen. You don't call somebody to ask them about their beliefs, and then you preach to them. And I did not do that uh, with him. I listened to what he had to say. I did not argue with him, and um, I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. And so uh, that's how you do it. I did not immediately respond to what he said. I wanted to take some time to think about some of those things. And so I'm going to talk about uh, some of the stuff that came up in the program that I thought was great, and some stuff that I didn't, I, that I just, I didn't completely agree. But uh, and I just want to make sure people understand where I am coming from. And I think it's important to do it. So in this program, I'm going to show you how to disagree. Because most Baptist preachers, especially, they don't know how to disagree. Every time there's a disagreement, we got to make them a heretic or a terrible person. And while I do not know Pastor Baldwin on a personal level at all, um, I, you know, I have no reason to have any negative thoughts towards him. Uh, in fact, I like him a little more after talking with him. So um, y'all are just going to have to deal with that if you had a a problem with something that he said. So first off though, when it comes to some of the things that he said that maybe I didn't completely agree with before I would ever judge him harshly for that, I'd have to ask a lot more questions and we could have talked for hours because, you know, these are deep things and, um, they take a while to teach some of them. And especially when you have a very different perspective that we're not used to. And so before I would ever, Uh, try casting stones at him for anything I didn't necessarily agree with, I'd have to ask a lot more questions first. And I didn't hear anything concerning enough where I feel like I've got to figure this out, make sure the guy's not a heretic. I didn't hear anything that I'm really that worried about. But um, 
I do want to say too, um, I completely understand him not wanting a label. It is annoying. It is annoying um, being labeled. And again, I I I accept certain labels and uh, things like that, but it is annoying because they often are a distraction. Because often we want to talk about the Bible, we want to talk about the doctrine, we want to talk about our position on something. But then opponents who can't refute what you say, they always want to talk about people, and then they want to associate you with you know somebody who's maybe fringe on that, and it's like they got to get you attacking them. And it's like, I, I think they use that wanting to create civil war in the opposing camps. Don't take the bait when they do that kind of thing. Just ignore it. Try to stay on subject. Now, I will say, I do believe talking about groups, people who influence things, that it is a legitimate conversation. But I will not have that conversation unless somebody wants to have that conversation. Okay? The next two days, I'm talking about Hal Lindsey and what he wrote. And how he influenced people. We've talked about Schofield and Larkin and Darby and people like that on this program. But those aren't biblical su- uh, discussions about the subject. The, the, that's a separate separate thing just about influence and how th- people have been affected. And so um, if somebody wants to have that conversation, we'll have that conversation. If you want to talk about Bible, you need to be disciplined enough to keep the conversation about the Bible. And so I think Pastor Baldwin... He's not interested in defending a camp, talking about anything like that. So he doesn't want to deal with the labels. You know what? Uh, let's let's respect that. I'm fine with that. And honestly, I don't know what camp I would put him in after talking to him. I, I really don't. I guess I'm just going to have to call his beliefs what Chuck Baldwin believes. And uh, and so um, and you know what? I I prefer people do that with me. Don't just try to. Hold me accountable for everybody that fits in a certain group. Well, that's just Pastor Tommy McMurtry. That's that's what he believes. And so I can respect that. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, one thing that he said that I thought was really good that uh, I didn't, I, I, while I agreed with what he said, I guess I never heard it put this way. And I think this is very effective. And I didn't understand it at first. I, I, I misunderstood what he meant when he said this, but then. Uh, I later realized as he started talking what he meant, but he said that all prophecy is either Israel-based or Jesus-based as far as like how people interpret prophecy. And when he said that, I, I thought he meant that all prophecies were either prophecies about Israel or they're prophecies about Jesus. And that was why I asked about Revelation. I was like, well, you think that's about Israel, about Jesus? And then he said, no, it's all all Jesus. And so what I, what I realized that he meant by that is that fulfillment of prophecy, the way people interpret it, some interpret prophecy as it being fulfilled through Israel, through an ethnic people, or others, they view prophecy as being fulfilled through Jesus. And so I think that's a really good way to explain it. Because many in the dispensation, everybody in the dispensational world, they are always looking to Israel to see how prophecy is fulfilled instead of looking to Jesus. And so their focus is always on this ethnic group. They're always telling you, keep an eye on things over in Israel. When the reality is, prophecies are going to be fulfilled, but they're fulfilled through Jesus Christ. He is the one who fulfilled all these things. And so people often accuse us because we deny that there's something special going on with Israel or whatever, with an ethnic group. 
And so they accuse us of, you know, denying the prophecies of Christ or saying that those prophecies failed. Okay? But no, the prophecies, they didn't fail. Okay? The prophecy, now, the prophecies are fulfilled, but they're fulfilled through Christ. You see, they're looking to see a fulfillment through an ethnic group where we, are, we believe that we can see those prophecies being fulfilled through someone who came from Israel, someone who took on him the seed of Abraham. We believe they were fulfilled through Abraham's seed, not Abraham's descendants, but Abraham's seed. So fulfillment of prophecy can be, it can be found in Christ. If there are things that need to be fulfilled, if when it comes to the land, when it comes to other nations, when it comes to whatever, it will be fulfilled through Jesus at his return. He will take care of those things in the millennium. So I'm not looking, I'm not looking to Israel for anything, okay, except maybe to figure out where the deception is all coming from. These things are found in Christ. So I think that's a great way to put it. I will steal that term. And, and, you know, and, and here, here's one of the things I'm kind of tired of dealing with too. Whenever you learn something from somebody from another camp, then everybody just accuses you of yoking up with them, just, you know, becoming a follower of that person. And people do that because they are typically blind followers of one individual. And they just say what, they just repeat whatever they say. But you know what? Sometimes we learn things from people who we disagree with. Sometimes there's people who are wrong on certain things that say, that are right in areas where we're wrong. And and when it comes to what Pastor Baldwin said about that, I would say I already agreed with that. I just never put it in those terms. And I think that's a really good way to put it. Some people put things in better ways than we do. And so if I can if I can learn from somebody else and, and, and take something from them, I'm going to do it. Sometimes I take things from pre-trivers. Because you know what they said was really good. How they said it was really good. That made a lot of sense. Sometimes they get a fact right that I had wrong. They interpret a scripture right that I had wrong. And so I am not afraid to be corrected by other people. And and so, um, yeah, I, I, I like what he said there. I've, I've copied some things that I heard from Brother Sharp and Brother Lushan. Some things that they're saying that they, that they say right. Some things that they say better. And doesn't mean I, I go along with everything. doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm pre-trib now. But it's like, well, no, hey, you know what? They got a good point right here. This is good. I'm not going to let them keep it all to themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that if it's from the Bible. So, um, yeah, so I like that. I thought that, was, I thought that was a good way to explain it. I'm, I'm looking for any prophecy to be fulfilled through Jesus, where dispensationalists are looking for prophecies to be fulfilled through an ethnic group. And I think, uh, I think that's wrong. I think they're wrong, and I think he said that very well. And so another thing I want to mention, though, is I do want to explain why I still believe in a coming tribulation. And uh, because Pastor Baldwin, um, you know, he talked about, you know, the stuff about Daniel's 70th week, which I would agree with. Uh, even Matthew 24 uh, it being fulfilled, which I would agree with. But I do still believe in a coming tribulation. Now, I do think if we are going to claim dual fulfillment on any Old Testament prophecy, we ought to have good reason for it. Okay, For example, I shouldn't just go to the prophecy about the virgin birth and then claim there's going to be another virgin birth someday. It's like, well, no, it already happened with Jesus. Yeah, but dual fulfillment. 
no, you can't do, you can't just assume dual fulfillment for things. If you believe that there is going to be another fulfillment or that that was just a foreshadowing of something, you need to have a really good reason for it. And so my reasoning for still believing in a coming tribulation, it's not me just claiming dual fulfillment from Matthew 24, but it's because of what I see in Revelation. The book of Revelation that was written after 70 AD. I, um, that, the book of Revelation is why I believe in a coming tribulation period. And so uh, I think we need to have a good reason for that. Because, you know, Pastor Baldwin talks, you know, uh, some of the things that he mentioned about how Jesus fulfilled certain things and how God was done with Israel, all that kind of stuff. I, I would agree with all that. But that leaves me to explain why I think there needs to be another tribulation coming in the future. And I think I have reasons for it. And so um, I briefly explained to him uh, my thoughts on that. But again, I had him on to explain his point of view, not for me to argue them and convince him of my point of view. But I'm telling everyone here today because uh, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking, like I said, I was in total agreement. I wasn't. But here's why I still believe in a coming tribulation because of revelation. Now, I do want to point out some things uh, to you too, because while I believe Matthew 24 uh, was fulfilled, at least up until the return of Christ, um, I think there's a very good reason to claim dual fulfillment on those early prophecies because we see a very similar pattern. Matthew 24 and Daniel's 70th week is about judgment on Jerusalem. And that came. Jesus said these things were going to come upon this generation in Matthew chapter 23. Those things came. But why were they being judged? Well, obviously there was a lot of reasons, but think about this. From the time of Abraham to the time of Christ is roughly 2,000 years. And I believe they were being judged for what they had done with what had been given to them. Remember the parables, the Olivet Discourse parables, I just did, showed, uh, I, uh, there's Saturday, I shared a whole discussion I had done on that on Standing for Truth channel. Understand that because Israel did not do the things they were supposed to do, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, his tri- triumphal entry, there was no fruit on that fig tree. Hey, now, not trying to make excuses for the Jews, but of course there wasn't. You know, they, you know they're trying to do things by the law. There's no way they're going to get it done that way. And But understand, we're getting it done, not because we're better than the Jews, but because we have the Holy Spirit, because of the new and better covenant, because of what Jesus Christ did for us. I mean, if we had to have a physical temple and sacrifices and all those things, we wouldn't get it done either. But we've got been able to accomplish it because of what Jesus did. He gets all the glory for it. But understand, just like Jerusalem and Israel was judged for what they had done with what had been given to them, one of these days, and I believe specifically what they did with the gospel, because the gospel was first preached to them. The gospel was first preached to them, and as a nation, they rejected it, and so judgment came on them in 70 AD. Well, I believe one day God is going to judge the world for what they have done with the gospel. And so, you know, in the new covenant, you know, this reformed church, okay, not the Calvin Reformation, but the Reformation of Jesus Christ that he brought on the church, we have been doing the work of the Lord. We have been doing that ministry 
for the last 2,000 years. And one day, God is going to judge the world for what they did with what had been given to them. And he's going to use the same pattern that he did with Jerusalem that we see in Matthew 24. And so in Matthew 24, Jesus starts out talking about how, let uh, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. In Revelation chapter 6, when he opens the first seal, there's a white horse that people agree, that's the Antichrist, right? What are we doing? Same pattern. The second beast, or the second seal, you have a black horse, or a red horse, that is to, uh, brings war to the earth. What did Jesus say? Falls, rise false Christ shall deceive many. There should be wars and famines and pestilences. What's the third horse? You have the black horse with a pair of balances that everyone would agree that that's a reference to famine. And then the fourth horse, it says, I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed after him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and death and with the beasts of the earth. This is showing a global thing, more of a global thing here, not just a Jerusalem thing. And notice we've got pestilence in there too. So Jesus said there's going to be false Christ, wars, famines, pestilence, same order as the four seals that we see in Revelation chapter 6. The fifth seal, he mentions the martyrs. What did Jesus say after the pestilence? How they're going to deliver you up the councils, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be killed. He talked about martyrs. And then after that, we have the sixth seal, sun's dark and moon turned to blood. Jesus said the same thing. After the tribulation of those days, sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, stars shall fall from heaven, powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Same thing we see is in Revelation 6. After Revelation 6, after uh, the sun's dark and moon turned to blood, we go to chapter 7, and that's where we see the rapture. Same thing that we, and so, and then in uh, Matthew 24, after the sun's dark and moon turned to blood, then we see Jesus coming in the clouds. Now, obviously, Jesus did not come in the clouds for Jerusalem on that day because they, they never repented of their unbelief. They never repented of the killing of Jesus. They never got saved, and so they were judged. And, and so understand, one day, Jesus is going to do the same thing to the world that he did to Jerusalem, and, when he, and then when he returns that time after the sixth seal— you know what? There will be people of faith on the earth. You know, Jesus said right before his triumphal entry, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? And people all, they go 2,000 years in the future. He was saying that about that day. And you know what? He didn't find faith. But again, it was something that you can't apply to the future because the second time he comes, he will find faith on the earth. There will be people and so I believe that's why we can claim dual fulfillment. Uh, that, that's my reasoning behind that. That's why we're still here. For the last 2,000 years, we have been doing the ministry of getting the gospel to the world and, and building a kingdom. We're doing all the things that Israel failed to do. When Jesus comes again at his second coming, his first coming ultimately was at the triumphal entry, and it wasn't that spectacular because there was no fruit. What did Jesus do right before that? Or after that, he went and he found that fig tree that had no fruit, and he cursed it. He cursed it and said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. You know, and you're not going to get any fruit from the things of the law. You're not going to get any fruit from that old covenant, but you will from the new and the better covenant that Jesus Christ gets the glory for. So at his second coming, 
He will find the things that he was looking for. He's going to find a clean people. You know why? Because we had a good high priest that offered up an acceptable sacrifice where they didn't. Those bloods and the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. So, uh, again, that, that's what I believe is going on. That's why I think we can still claim a coming tribulation. I believe there was a, a local tribulation that took place in Israel. That was their judgment. But I believe a global tribulation is coming for what they have done with the gospel. And I believe that's in the future. So I do still believe in a coming tribulation. Um, then also uh, the millennium. Okay, Now, I'm, I'm, I'm still not real sure where he's at when it comes to all things with the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I do still believe in a millennial reign. I, I am still uh, pre-millennial when it comes to my beliefs. And, and here's why. Okay, I, I do want to explain why. Because understand, at, at Christ's first coming, because Israel wasn't able to keep the law, God always knew they weren't going to be able to keep the law. But it didn't change the fact that in those Old Testament prophecies, there were still instructions. Israel, Israel couldn't reject the Messiah and be disobedient unless there was something specific they were told to do. And there was. Okay? And, and so, theoretically, had they done those things, there would have been a different outcome. But, of course, they didn't get those things done. They never were going to get those things done. Jesus was always plan A, okay? The law was just something given as a schoolmaster to help them understand salvation and the Messiah and their sin and all these things. That's why it was there. We, we understand, I think we all here understand all of that. But um, at, the, at the same time, there are, I think, things, uh, probably things, from the Old Testament that still need to be fulfilled. There might be land things that still need to be fulfilled. There might even be some things with Israel that still need to be fulfilled. But it will be fulfilled in the millennium. It will be fulfilled in the resurrection. When you look at the Gospels and you see Jesus after he meets that centurion who had faith like no one in Israel had, what did he say? He said they're going to come from the north, south, east, and west, and they're going to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. But the children of the kingdom will be thrust out. I believe... We are on this earth, not in heaven, on this earth, going to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I, I take that very literal. I, I, I don't see any other way around that. I, and I'm not saying Pastor Baldwin doesn't. I really, I don't fully understand his position, but based on some of the things he said, uh, I don't know if maybe he leans somewhat on millennial. I, I don't think he does. I, I, think, I think he still believes in millennium. I think maybe he's just not real dogmatic on it. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to try to state what he believes on that. Cause I'm, I'm just not real sure we'd had, uh, that would have probably made the conversation go a lot longer, but I'm saying all this because I do feel like he's doing a lot of allegorizing of revelation, especially in areas, in areas where I wouldn't now listen, everyone allegorizes some of revelation, everyone. Hey, we all cream people. If they allegorize something that we don't. But everybody allegorizes some of Revelation. Okay, everybody allegorizes Revelation twelve, but boy, you try to allegorize Revelation eleven, you know, everybody gets mad at you. Well, why can we allegorize this one? We can't allegorize the other one. You know, we allegorize what we need to allegorize. We make literal what we need to make literal. That's not always fair. And if you want to call somebody a heretic for allegorizing Revelation, somebody you're probably gonna have to call a heretic is King James. 
if you read what he wrote about Revelation, I mean, he re he really allegorized a lot of stuff in there. He didn't. I don't think he took anything literal in, in Revelation. But uh, I do still believe in a, in a millennial reign. And if all we had was stuff from the Old Testament, I would be like, yeah, I can see how this stuff is fulfilled in Christ, and you know, this is this is spiritual. Uh, you know, maybe if all we had was the Old Testament, but we don't, we have revelation and in revelation chapter 20 and verse three, it says, uh, in verse two, we'll start. It says, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after this, he must be loose a little season. Folks, Satan has not been bound. Peter said, Satan walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the nations are being deceived. I mean, our nation is for sure being deceived. So there's no two ways about it. Satan has not been bound. The nations are being deceived. I don't see any way around this. Uh, I think this is, I take this very literally. I don't, I don't know how else to take it. I, it says a thousand years. Now you say, why? But why is there a thousand years? I, because, and I, I get into this a little bit. I'm going to get in this a little bit on the second day when I'm covering this stuff. But understand, Jesus Christ is preparing the world. He's fixing the world. And, we, and, and I, I don't fully understand everything he has to do and why he has to do it. But we know one day he is going to deliver up the kingdom to the Father. We know in Revelation 21, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. God himself is going to dwell with us on this earth. So I believe there are some things that Jesus is probably going to do, is going to do, to fully remove the sin from the world. Obviously, those of us who are saved, we have cleansing of our sin right now. We have the promise of eternal life right now, but our our flesh is still sinful. There's still sin on this earth. This planet is not fit for a holy God. And so under I believe there are things that Jesus needs to fulfill in order to rid this planet of sin. And I think that's what we see in Revelation 21. And, you know, I don't understand all the legal details for why he's going to need that millennial reign. But I believe that's what it's for. It's to do whatever needs to be done. And whatever needs to be done, Jesus is going to get it done. I am confident. That I am. So what are we going to do in the millennium? I don't know. I'm just, but I'm prepared to take orders from Christ. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. Whatever he tells me to do. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be rebellious. No, we're going to have a glorified body at that point. And it says, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again to the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are finished, are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. I don't know how, 
I, I don't know how you allegorize that. I don't know if Pastor Baldwin allegorizes that. I have heard some people try to allegorize that, and it makes no coherent sense. And I have heard people allegorize certain things from Revelation. Eh, that kind of makes sense. However, I can't find a consistency in that. I've never heard a consistent allegorizing of Revelation. It seems like everybody interprets it in whatever and does whatever they have to do to make it fit their theology. And so they allegorize what they need to allegorize. They take literal what they need to take literal. And there's there's no consistency to it. So again, it, I'm just it's hypocritical for you to nail somebody for allegorizing a part of Revelation that you don't when you do as well allegorize Revelation. It's kind of like what he said about the partial preterist stuff. You know, we we condemn that term, but everybody has something they agree with in that, and it's the same thing. We cream people for allegorizing Revelation, but we all allegorize some of it. So, um, but when it comes to the millennium, I I can think of many reasons why we need a millennium, um, how it would fulfill certain things, and um, you know I I believe. Because uh, here's what I think, too, before and here's let me just throw this out there. Jesus is going to deliver the kingdom to the father. Well, I believe before he's going to do that, the kingdom needs to have done something right. We need to have accomplished something, you know, and, and I believe we're going to get it. We're going to do all those things during that millennium. And we're going to we will successfully have a kingdom where we rule where there's, uh, you know, a righteous ruling that takes place where righteous judgment takes place where the laws of God are enforced and we will eventually rid the world of sin and it will all culminate at a final Gog and Magog battle and Jesus is going to win and the world at that point will be righteous and then we're going to have a something's going to take place and there's going to be a new heaven and new earth and all sin is going to be gone sorrow pain crying it's all going to be gone at that point. So uh, we can all speculate on the millennium, but you know I'm not going to be too mean to people if they disagree with me on some things on that. But I do I do believe in a literal coming thousand year kingdom. I still I still believe in that. And so it's possible that Pastor Baldwin maybe has thrown out too much stuff from dispensationalism. Uh, that happens sometimes. Sometimes people uh, who you know reject Calvinism. They go so they want to get so far from Calvinism, they start throwing out things like eternal security, and I think that's wrong. Uh, but some, you know, the truth is, the lies of the devil are typically going to be close to the truth. That's how he deceives. He puts a little bit of leaven in there. If we get too far away from that, then we can go off into other lies and other heresies, and and I don't have any reason to think Pastor Baldwin has done that, but it is possible that uh, maybe things, there's some things he's associated with dispensationalism, like a trip, you know, a coming tribulation, a coming seven years, uh, a literal millennium. He's associating those things with dispensationalists or dispensationalism because they talk about that so much, but maybe, maybe they're not completely wrong on all that. So, um, I did think it was interesting what he said about the new covenant. I think we have dropped the ball as, as a whole and failed in expressing the glory of the new covenant. That is a fantastic 
teaching that we take for granted, we, we don't talk enough about how much better the new covenant is than the old covenant. I preached a whole sermon not that long ago about uh, what the Holy Spirit brought at Pentecost. Uh, a lot of people disagree about whether they had the Holy Spirit, saved people had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I personally think they probably did. However, they didn't have him in the same way that we do today. The, what we for sure got after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did give a special anointing and a special cleansing that we take for granted. Because remember, the tabernacle of God that came down, that they had in the beginning, it was because God wanted to dwell with them, but there was a separation still. Only the priest could go in there. Only the, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once every year. So God was there. He was close to them. But in the new heaven and new earth, God himself is going to dwell amongst us. Why is that? Because we will have been fully cleansed at that point. But even now, we have, we all have a ceremonial cleansing already because of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we don't have to be a Levite. We don't have to have a water basin that we wash up in before we go into church. I mean, us, I mean, some pretty sorry Christians are capable of winning souls to Christ. How are we able to do that? Look at all their problems they have. It's a sanctifying, it's a, it, that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's an empowering that comes from the Holy Spirit. We, we don't talk about that stuff enough. What the new covenant brought, the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. And there's even some dispensationalists that teach the new covenant still hasn't even come yet. That there's a difference between the New Testament and the new covenant. The new covenant's for Israel. It's in the future, which is, that's heresy. That is heresy. But he it sounds like he believes Revelation is kind of an allegory explaining the glory of the new covenant. And while there's probably some truth into that, I I don't think it takes away from the fact that there are some, uh, you know, real life physical things that I believe are still to come. I'm still watching for and waiting for. But either way, I say all that to say that, um, you know, while I I didn't agree with everything I heard, um, he didn't. I don't believe he said anything that would make me think he was a heretic. And I hope nobody uh, tries to treat him as one. And and connect that to him. There are some things that I'm disagreeing with him on that I do I don't fully understand where he's coming from. So um, hopefully I'm not misrepresenting anything that he he says or believes. Uh, he's welcome to come on this program anytime. Um, I still have a lot of respect for him. I still like him. In fact, I like him better uh, than I did before after talking to him. Uh, but at the same time, too, um, you know, I, I can disagree. As long as people aren't uh, trying to make me conform to their ways. And, uh, you know, I had Brother Sharp, Brother Lushan on here. We disagree on some things. But at the end of the day, I still think they're good men. I still think that they love the Lord. Uh, I still think they have things they can teach me. And uh, I'm willing to learn from people who aren't exactly in my camp and uh, don't echo everything that I say. I think that's a very prideful attitude to have. And I think it's a shame. And so, um, you know, before I would ever be critical of anything I even heard from Pastor Baldwin, especially in a public way, I would have to hear a lot more of what he has to say about it. Because we did, it was a short conversation. We were covering some really big and deep things in a short time. But either way, these are some things that I got from it, some things I learned from it. And I just want to make sure two people understand, um, you know, what my beliefs are on these things and how I'm going to teach certain things on this program and either way I'm always open to correction if I need it and so 
Uh, what I did in this program is that hopefully I showed you how to disagree. I disagreed with some things he said, and I don't hate him for it. I'm not trying to connect a, a heresy to it or anything like that. Um, and I'm willing to admit there's some things I don't fully understand. I'm willing to admit there are things, some things that he could be right on. Uh, you know, I, I said, I, I, the, and maybe I'm wrong. I'd have to talk with him a lot more and look into some of these things. But, you know, as of right now, uh, my position is still the same on these things. I do believe in a coming time of tribulation. I'm not going to call it the tribulation, but a time of tribulation that we will go through. Uh, and I, I believe, I do believe in a coming antichrist. And I believe that after the revelation of the Antichrist, sometime after that, Jesus Christ is going to return and take us to heaven. And I'm looking forward to that day. And in the meantime, uh, I'm looking forward to having more conversations about how these things that we're looking for and excited about are going to play out. So thank you for watching this program. And be ready for two episodes coming tomorrow that I have been wanting to get to for four or five years. Finally, uh, finally got it done. I think you'll be blessed by it. So thank you for watching this. We will see you all tomorrow.